Hey, everybody. Welcome to Why It Matters, the podcast for the dreamers and the driven. We're changing the world their way. Our guest this week is Erin Duddy. She's the director at the Center for Sustainable Finance and Private Wealth, where she's leading their expansion into North America. Today, she shares her path to working in sustainable finance while also breaking down how it works. It's becoming more regulated, like the terms impact and and ESG and sustainability, even what's considered sustainable. But there has been a lot of space in the market for misuse of the terms, which create a lot of confusion for the consumers. And there has been a premium on like ESG products for things that don't necessarily look much different from a traditional product. Before we listen to the rest of the episode, everybody take a second to settle in, appreciate where you are, and take a deep breath with me. And now, off to the episode. And we are live. Erin Duddy, welcome to Why It Matters. Thanks, Luke. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, it's great to have you here. And I'm excited to get into a little bit deeper conversation after our first chat we were just having. Um, And doing some research on yourself and you guys and the work that you're doing, it struck me as a very interesting approach to gather people who are in science, people who are doing different types of research, people who understand the financial industry, different mechanisms in that, how this is relating to the core of all that, which is sustainable development and sustainability. Um, And I think that one thing that I realized when I was in college studying this is there's so much going on and it affects like every part of society. And it's like, how are you going to change society and make it sustainable? And I think it really will take gathering a bunch of people that are doing a bunch of different things together to solve the problems. And so I'm super excited to talk to you being the person who's kind of directing and leading that effort about your work. Um, But before doing so, I love to learn a little bit about the guests today and where you are from and how that history has shaped who you are and turned into what you're doing today. So who is Aaron and where are you from? So Aaron is, (laughs) I am. Um, I was born and raised in the U.S. I moved around quite a lot, Um, but I, I would say California was my home, is my home. Um, so when I was 20, I moved to Australia, um, and I did my undergrad there. I did my undergrad in parks and wildlife management, uh, because basically, actually, I didn't really want to do my undergrad. I didn't want to study, but I kind of, I kind of had to, to be in Australia, which is another story. Um, (laughs) so at the time I was really into hiking. Um, so I decided to do my, I found a program that was in parks and wildlife management. Um, so it was basically like to be a park ranger. And um, very cool. Yeah, it was, I, I loved it. And um, finished that there. And towards the end of my degree, I learned about climate change. And I kind of I was confronted with this, this issue of like, man, it would be great to be a park ranger, and it wouldn't have the impact that I'd want um, on climate change. I mean, especially because park, range, park rangers or parks are traditionally underfunded, you're never able to manage for all of the the things that you need to manage for so um so I knew I had to go back to study um to kind of do what I wanted to do and my big focus was on how to move people um Mm -hmm. I think as you were saying before is like about society and bringing people together and um what struck me about climate change was that like how, how much human suffering there would be um you know I do love the environment but also like care about people um, and also people are the decision makers here. So um, I figured that would that needed to be my focus. So yeah, after a couple ski seasons, I uh, took a bit of a break um, between the two degrees and then I moved to Switzerland. 
Um, I'm half Swiss and you also being from the US um, would know that doing a degree here in the US is crazy expensive. Um, and yeah. in Switzerland, I think I paid $860 a semester. Oh so yeah, it was, it was a good move, I think, on my part um, financially, but also to kind of reconnect with my Swiss roots. Um, I did have to learn German for the degree. Oh, wow. Um, it started in German, but switched to English. Um, thank God. But I did my degree in, in sustainable development um, and with a focus on social science. Um, and then at the tail end of my degree, I, um, I started with where I am now at the Center for Sustainable Finance and Private Wealth, or CSP. Um, and I've been there for over three years now, and I'm now expanding CSP out to the US. Um, so it was in Zurich for seven years, now back in the US at this very special time in this country. Yeah, <laughs> it is. And uh, I'll leave that topic at, at bay for now. Um, but one thing I think is super interesting in that a lot of people that I'm surrounded by, so I graduated college a year ago and still in touch with people who were at my college and people at different colleges and just talking with a lot of people, there's this theme of re people really wanting to have something good go along with their life, their life and they're also their working life. And so I think you being ahead of that curve, you mentioned, I think 12 years ago was when you were kind of in that space, making that decision. And so I'd love to hear from you and for people listening that might be inspired by the work that you're doing and also like interested in like, all right, well, it's really hard. I noticed coming out of undergrad to how do you really break into this space? Because it's new and it's like really confused. There's no like, to me, it's almost like the internet back when it was first starting in the early 90s. It's like, what is it? What are the opportunities? What's the infrastructure? Who's doing what? And for you to be able to have the mindset of wanting to do something with a park range as a park ranger and then switching to climate change, I'd love to hear like that mindset, how you made that jump, because it's a pretty big career decision. It's affected the rest of your life. And like, what was it? what was the mindset that you used to take that jump into doing something that was you really wanted to do and had that like good societal impact? Mm -hmm. It's a great question. And I think it's a really relevant question for a lot of people nowadays. Um, I guess I'd want to say two things. The first one that is jump is a bit of a, um, maybe a, maybe not so representative of, of the actual journey. So mm. um, it took a really long time to actually get to where, uh, where I could actually be paid to mm. be doing what I'm doing. Um, so I think the mindset around, like I, I'm a naturally very driven person where I knew that this is where I wanted to go. And so I kept working towards that. Um, but I think the other thing is... I'd love to hop in there because I yeah. feel like that's like the, the, the real core of it. When you say like, I kept working towards that and I, I feel a similar way in terms of like, it's taken me a long time to get where I'm at to be able to have a conversation over a podcast and like reading a lot, learning a lot. And so for you, like, and for people listening, trying to understand like the patience behind it and the actual work that goes in day to day, what did that mean for you in terms of like you kept working at it? Yeah, that's a that's I'm glad you're digging into that because um, what it looked like and what I what I often don't share, um, don't have the space to share, but think was important was that in every situation I was after I knew that's what I wanted to do, um, something in climate change or what turned into sustainability or sustainable development. Um, was I was looking for opportunities for how I would be able to like learn these skills on my own. So by skills, I mean like um, leadership, um, also behavior change, um, like activism uh, and understanding how people work. And so how that looked on the ground is like, I, um, 
this was before there was such momentum around sustainability is like I would if I was working I, I worked a lot of hospitality like service industry jobs um and so I would try to be the the sustainability or, or green champion within mm. those um, workplaces and so that looks like talking to the manager to to um get sort of um the allowance um or the ability to to build up a movement within the company um which for example it was things like operational things like changing light bulbs like to yeah. led light bulbs or recycling or composting but also like getting involved with movements like i was the um the brisbane um volunteer coordinator for the Australian Youth Climate Coalition. I put on a bicycle film festival, which may, might what? not seem like sustainability right away. But I mean, like, I think moving people is really around like motivating people about like what's what's exciting for them, what they love. And yeah, we put on this this bicycle film festival in Brisbane. Um, and so I was looking for opportunities, but I knew that what my end goal was to do, I knew I wanted to do my master's. I mean, I think the other, the other thing is for people coming into this industry of sustainable development, there's so many ways in, but, but passion alone is not enough. Um, you, we need people who are skilled in, in, um, in tech or in, even in communications or, in engineering, you know, we need people to develop those skills and then apply them to the, um, the global challenges that we're facing. Yeah, and I think just from that, I'm, it sounds like the initiative to develop those skills can start with the story you shared about like changing the light bulb and that action may lead to something else in that company or a new movement or you, you join something outside of your company and some type of movement or activism thing, or then you start your own as you did. And I just wanna say that I really respect that a lot because I think that there's looking at the news and looking at different things, it's like this monumental, these the people that are highlighted are these monumental figures that have just done what you're talking about millions of times over throughout their life. And it's such a gap between the person seeing that and like doing it that, I just want to say I respect the fact that you started and kept it up because it's like super hard as I'm learning to be consistent and keep going. And so I just want to say that. And also the fact that like you can develop the skills from just doing it and, and just being like, hey, if you want to get involved, just do the simplest thing that you can do. Maybe it's like, you know what, next time I'm going to go get some groceries, I'm going to get a reusable bag. Like it, you might only be saving a few bags, but it makes a difference. And I really believe that, I really believe that anyone can change the world. Like I truly believe like anyone can do it. It's just a matter of doing something. Um, just want to say that. And I appreciate you for doing that. Um, and would love to hear how you translated that into the work that you're doing today. So now you're running a center um, you're the director for the, of the Center for Sustainable Finance and Private Wealth in North America. And so there's, as I mentioned in the introduction, there's all these different people and players involved. How did you go from focusing on thinking about light bulbs to managing a big center? And I know that's a big story in between those two things. And so there's a, probably a lot that you could say, but maybe what, what was a a central piece of that story that kept you going, got you to where you're at? So the Center for Sustainable Finance and Private Wealth, um, or CSP, um, it, it's, it was initially a research and teaching unit at the University of Zurich. Um, and we work at the intersection of research, wealth owners, and investment professionals to generate state-of-the-art knowledge on impact and sustainable investing which we then use to mobilize capital towards impact. So we're, we're targeting um, research. We do research, academic research and practitioner research and sustainable finance, um, but we also have training programs um, 
we have training programs for wealth owners, so ultra high net worth um, and high net worth wealth owners. Um, for those who, listening who might not know that term, it's defined differently in different spaces, but ultra high net worth is, um, depending on the definition, 30 to 50 million plus um, in investable assets. Um, so we work with private wealth holders who have access to these assets. Um, and then we also do outreach. Um, and so we've trained over in the last seven years, we've trained over 180 of these private wow. um, wealth holders. And we see, you know, there's a lot of, there's several things needed, which I'll get into later, but yeah, training people, um, equipping them with the, with the tools and knowledge to actually move their capital um, in a sustainable direction is um, definitely a huge level lever for change. And that's where we see our, our position um, as well as the research and, and outreach. And we also do training for institutions as well. So banks are also a big part of the, part of the puzzle. Um, so backing up, backing to your first question. Um, my, so I'm the director for our expansion out to North America. Um, so we are um, CSB North America as a nonprofit. We were founded in February of this year and I'm leading that. Um, and the central piece that has really like moved from, moved me from changing light bulbs to direct being a director of this center um, I want to say is perseverance and resilience. Mm. I, I think it comes back to like a, a mindset, like you, what you were calling it before. It's also being opportunistic in terms of taking on opportunities that, that come um, my way. Maybe also, I think, the field in general of sustainability and sustainable development has grow, grown a lot um, and has gained a lot more momentum. So there are more jobs that are opening up. I've been seeing so many mm. opening up. I mean, it's hard when you're entry level, but I think the opportunities are growing. Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think perseverance is a huge part of it. And I think the thing that you mentioned that I think is super underappreciated is taking the opportunities where they come. And I feel like example for myself, when I was first starting this podcast, I had a huge Excel sheet with every person that I reached out to for the podcast, when I reached out, what they did, their contact, like times I followed up, if they respond, like this huge, like manually made database. And I just, I wanted to keep having people on and interviewing people and starting as a young person, someone in college starting a podcast, interviewing people, it's not easy to get guests. And so I just had to take every opportunity and really like, I truly maximized 100% everyone that I could interview. And that, that kind of led up to me being able to get interviews more easily because it just added up over time. And I feel like that is, is key, just being open-minded and being doing difficult things and then learning from them quickly and then doing more things. So I'd love that idea. And I'd love to talk to you a little bit about like, so if you're the director of this center in North America, like what is it that you do? And I, I mentioned some of these people a few times, but there's like, and you kind of mentioned it, but you're working with researchers, investment professionals, scientists, people that own wealth. And so there's a lot of different stakeholders in this ecosystem. So like if you're, let's say like we pause this podcast and you go back to your life as the director, like what are you, what's your main role? So my main role as a director now is, has been growing the movement um, to this new region. Um, it looks very, very much like a startup right now. Um, but it has the the kind of conveniences of already having a reputation behind it. So I'm lucky for that. And I still have a team um, in Zurich and also now in Singapore. Um, I'd love to, sorry, I'd love to ask you just like when you say, because I feel like a key part of it is you mentioned growing the movement. And so what is the movement? 
the movement is getting more private wealth into sustainable development and funding sustainable development. So that means reaching more people with our training programs. Um, another, the big, the other big thing that I'm focused on, especially in North America, is our new training program um, for entrepreneurial wealth holders. So these are people who are who have exited um, big companies that have had IPOs and then are on to their next venture and also want to use their capital for good, their financial capital, but also their non-financial capital for good. Um, our, our other programs focused on inherited wealth, and this is like self-created wealth. Um, so I'm very focused on how do we how do we get, how do we reach these people? Because um, this is a new audience. And although we do see big names like um, like Bill Gates or um, I guess even like Bezos, you know, that are, are big philanthropists, um, there's still not as big of a movement or there's still a lot of opportunity for this entrepreneurial um, sort of self-made wealth holder demographic to get behind the movement. I mean, there's so much, for example, I, I lived really next to, right close to Silicon Valley and there's so much tech wealth coming out of there. And if that, you know, a portion of that was used towards um, attaining the sustainable development goals, we'd be doing pretty good, but it's not just the capital. It's like the, the sort of like innovation and the, the energy behind it. Um, so I'm, I'm focused on on that right now. It's also a lot of strategic partnership building and um, networking. Cool. What do you mean by so? I think the the movement itself, like you were mentioning, is so many different aspects of it, and and how it's not just the capital, but also the energy behind it. So, what do you mean by that? Yeah. So we're really focused, like our our focus, especially in the impact investing world, is very much about um, financial capital, which is understandable because it's the finance world and, and we should be focused on it. Like, absolutely. There's a lot of impact there. Um, and a lot of the people that we work with have so much other, uh, so many other forms of capital. Like, um, if you think about, you know, your skill set, or your networks, or if you have any um, influence in terms of your voice or political influence, there's a lot of, you know, if you don't have the, and even if for the people that we don't work with, but just people in general, if you do kind of an assessment of all of the resources or capital that you have at your discretion um, and see where you're best placed, like where you do have kind of levers to pull, um, then, you can fully engage all forms of capital or um, to, to actually have the impact that you're, you're aiming to have. And so we, we focus on specifically wealth holders because we believe that moving, you know, we do live in a capitalist society and that's kind of where the power is. So moving, that's a big lever for us to pull, but I think um, there are many other levers to pull. I'm with you. And I think a lot of it comes from the the potential that people have, like that the, that thing I mentioned earlier. Like, there's a lot of young people who are interested in this space, and people in general, I think, are like, "What what is going on?" And this, like, what does sustainability mean? That's something I want to ask you in a second. But I think that the the there's this potential, like a little potential energy of people that are interested in it and wanted to take that step into it, whether it's with the financial capital you were mentioning or whether the, it's with your support showing up at something, that's energy in itself or the skill set. Um, so I love that idea. And I would love to ask you about what, what does that mean? What does it mean to make a sustainable investment? And yeah, I guess I'll leave it at that. So you had a podcast with somebody I don't remember what episode it was, but she gave a great definition for impact investing. Um, uh, but sustainable investing, 
I'm going to give you the U.S. SIF definition or the Sustainable Investing Forum de definition, but it's an investment discipline that considers environmental, social, and corporate governance, or ESG, criteria to generate long-term competitive financial returns and positive societal impact. So sustainable investing, it, there's actually a, a kind of a spectrum, what we, we call a spectrum of capital. Um, and if your listeners want to dig into this more deeply, I think this is what we, this particular, there's a particular graph that we look at um, that we refer to in our education um, and that the industry is generally referring to, which is um, the spectrum of capital by Bridges Fund Management and the Impact Management Project. Um, but it kind of, it lays out the different sorts of investments uh, of type types of investment with along three different types of criteria. Um, and they range from like traditional to traditional investment to philanthropy. So if we think about this on a spectrum, um, and I'm, I hope I can describe this enough for people to be able to visualize it. Um, but for criteria, you're always, you're thinking about like finance goals, um, your impact goals and your intentions, which I won't go too deeply into here. But if we think about finance and impact goals, traditional investment. Is this, sorry, let me just, for me, I think for people listening to clarify, when you say goals, that's like the, the goal of the investment. So if you're making an investment into something, like what the, like what happens when that investment is made and like what's happening to the thing that's being invested in, like, is that the idea? Yeah, yeah. That's okay. a, maybe like a goal for the outcome like uh, as, as a result of the investment. Gotcha. Yeah, so good question. And the, for example, so if we start with traditional investing, that's like purely financial. Um, you know, traditionally it's all been um, risk and return and as well as time horizon liquidity, but it's, it's all been financial. There's no, no impact um, in that. And then if you move to responsible investing, um, that is, that's kind of the next step on the way towards like purely philanthropic. Um, this is something that avoids harm and mitigates ESG risks, which ESG is what we, we talked about before. Um, but that's, it doesn't necessarily target impact. Um, it's, it's more about avoiding harm and it's still making a financial return. So would, what would be an example of that? Like, so there's something called um, ESG screening in the um, in the finance world, where you basically like a popular thing to screen out of your investment portfolio would be like um, like alcohol or hmm. um, adult entertainment. So um, you wouldn't have you wouldn't be investing in those things. You would be like, I don't want to put my money towards that. Exactly, and so you you tell your advisor that I don't want anything in my portfolio with like these things, or they'll already have a, um, a product that that has these things screened out and you can invest in that. And knowing that you're not, your money is not going towards, you know, supporting whatever it is that you're against. Gotcha. So then we'd move to sustainable investing. So with sustainable investing, we're still kind of avoiding the harm and mitigating these ESG risks. We're still also targeting finance, like a, a return. So we still have finance goals um, that are market rate return. Um, and then the impact goals are also, are also about benefiting, what we call benefiting stakeholders, um, but it's more of kind of an alignment practice. So not only are you um, trying to avoid harm, but you're also trying to, to invest in things that you believe in. And this is generally in public markets. Um, so you say like, I think this car company, that this electric car company that I won't name um, is, <laughs> just pick one, um, is benefiting society because, um, because we need more electric cars or something. You say, this is, I want my money to go to that. So you can, um, you can have like a positive screen for that or invest specifically in, in that. Um, but then 
we move from sustainable to impact investing, which is um, where we're actually contributing to solutions. And here we could be either um, targeting, and we could be, there's like finance first impact investing, and then there's impact first impact investing. So one mm. is like targeting a, a market rate return, which is the finance first, but it's also tar uh, trying to contribute to solutions. So like your other podcast guest said, it's without my dollar going into this company, um, the company wouldn't be having be able to have like a positive impact on the world. Um, and then if you go with impact first, it's you you're able to you say you, you'll be able to take concessionary returns and your your first priority would be the impact rather than the return. So you'd be willing to you'd rather have not rather, but if you could make an impact through the money, like you could have keep a park have more nature than have a city be built you'd rather do that than make 20 percent on your money you'd rather make 10 percent in your money and then be able to keep the nature alive yeah or even like four percent um as long as you're you're getting the impact that you want gotcha. um, and then you move to philanthropy which is purely impact okay cool and so maybe to sum that up there's sound like there's a lot of different types of investing in there. And I'll just run it back for myself to understand. There's the first is just like you make an investment, like this could be Dogecoin or Bitcoin, or it could be a bond, or it could be cash, or it could be you're investing in this next company that's gonna make these pencils, like what whatever. You're just I wanna make money. And then the next step up would be, I want to make money, but I don't want to invest in things that create harm like alcohol or adult film companies. And then you move to sustainable investing, which is focused a bit more on creating the impact, but it's not really like as focused. It's like, I would love to create an impact, like the car company that you didn't mention. Um, <laughs> so like, I want to help invest in renewable energy, um, and that's great. And I also want to make money. And then the next step up is impact investing. And there's two different things within there. So you can either focus on the high level. I want to make an impact first, but also make a little bit of money or you want to make money that has an impact. And then the next level is philanthropic, which is like purely, I want to change the world and my money will go where it goes. Is that the kind yeah. of, okay. That's, that's the overall gist. I guess the, that, and I guess the only thing I would say is that with sustainable investing, it's often with private markets and so, um, sorry, public markets, but your dollar won't necessarily make the difference that, um, you know, if you divest and then somebody else buys your share of the stock um, that you sold off, it won't make a difference for the company. So, okay whereas impact will like it's more in the private markets often but you know that's that's another deeper conversation um where like you can actually um change like what we call like a, a dirty company to like a green company or grow a green company and that's where we see more of the impact gotcha okay thank you for that explaining that one thing that I'm curious about is, so these, there's these like five different types of investing that we just mentioned at a high level. Um, and so they range from like not caring about impact to like the only thing you care about is impact. And so with that spectrum, where are, where are we in that spectrum? And I feel like the, the end awesome goal would be everyone cares about impact. And of course you wanna make some money from that. And I think that as time evolves, you will be able to make money very easily from impact. But if the, the ultimate goal is, hey, let's, let's really get returns from our investments and they're gonna be really like solely like making an impact, solely doing good things. Where are we today? Like, where's the market today? And like, there's a lot of, I think people trying to understand the market and like what it even means. And we just broke that down. but in terms of like the the dollars flowing today, like where would you say on that spectrum of 
not thinking about impact to 100% only thinking about impact, where are we today for most of the market? I would start by saying that this, this industry or this um, segment of the market has seen tremendous growth in the last years. Um, it was estimated to be around 35 trillion last the, at the last benchmark. Um, it's one of the fastest growing subsets of the investing industry. There's more than 5,000 funds integrating sustainability. Um, impact investing was estimated at about 750 billion. Um, and that was all self-declared impact investors. So that means like the people who are not, oh, sorry, impact investors or impact funds. So those who are not necessarily like labeling themselves as impact are not necessarily being represented in that figure. So would, would um, estimate that it, this would be more. Um, mm. And more of a quarter, more than a quarter of the finance sector is considering sustainability issues to some degree. Um, so I would say it's growing by a lot and we're seeing, we're seeing a lot of growth. And um, I think I would highlight that we're in, in an interesting time with the market and regulation um, because it's to date, it's becoming more regulated, like the terms impact and, and ESG and um, sustainability even, what's considered sustainable. But there has been a lot of space in the market for, for misuse of the terms um, which create a lot of confusion for the consumers, um, and especially people who aren't don't have the time or aren't necessarily don't want to necessarily dive deeply into this topic. <laughs> so, um, and there has been a premium on like ESG products um, for not for things that don't necessarily look much different from a traditional product. Um, so. That is to say, the estimation, the estimate of like what is happening in the market, the growth that we're seeing is incredible. Um, we're starting to see regulation. And I'd love to, so I'd love to ask a question about like, maybe I could talk to you about the people that you're working with, the wealth owners that you're working with today and at the center. Where are those people that are, the first thing I want to mention just from my observation of that is that they're they clearly care more than the average person about these topics because they're taking the initiative to go work with you guys so their dollars are obviously flowing in directions that are more impact focused so that's so that's a, a group of people that is a little bit of a biased outlook because they're already thinking about sustainability but in terms of those people how what is their, what is the mindset of the wealth owners that you're working with and how do they view investing their money into assets that are sustainable? So as you rightly mentioned that we do work, we're very lucky to work with a subset of people who are um, innately passionate about making a, an impact and having an impact. Um, and that still ranges in terms of their mindset. Um, on, there are a couple topics. So there's the mindset around wealth preservation or growth or even spending down. Um, and then there's the sort of mindset around how much of this that they want to be involved in or how much they want to outsource it to their advisor. Mm. Um, and then there's the, the sort of preferences for like thematic preferences, what, what things they wanna um, target. So we see kind of all, all sorts of flavors of, of like, if people want to grow their wealth or they want to preserve it. I mean, I think there is a big impetus and if you're, embedded in a sort of legacy um, or like family history of wealth that you don't want to be the one 
to um, to spend that down or you know be the one to lose that. Um, and so there's a responsibility on that end um, that people feel. Um, and there's also, we do have people that come to us and are like, uh, this is too much. I, I have more than I need. Um, I don't need to burden my children and grandchildren with the responsibility of having this much wealth. Um, I'm going to give it away except for like, uh, or just plan for as much as I need for the rest of my life. Um, and then make sure the rest of it goes to impactful causes. So, um, you know, it's very, that's a very personal thing. Yeah. Um, and we make no judgment on, on any of the kind of mindsets or approaches around that. There's the thematic preferences. And then of course, there's a lot of movement around climate um, and gender and diversity. Um, we're seeing different regional preferences as well. Um, for example, work closely with a woman um, who's second gen um, wealth holder, which means her fam her parents were the wealth creators. Um, he was very passionate about the Amazon and yeah. is doing a lot of work there. Um, we have people that um, go on to like build climate funds or um, work in climate tech. Um, I have a quick question, if you don't mind. Um, how do you feel like that that idea? I think that the perception that people have around the narrative of something, like so, that's if there's a the Amazon, for example, like. The, the woman you just mentioned who's like interested in doing work and in investing in protecting or having it be the Amazon that it was and not be cut down or whatever her situation is with the Amazon. How do you think people's mindsets and the wealth owners' perceptions are evolving in terms of their perception of the investment? Because I feel like a lot of people are going with the crowd and going with what the news is saying and going with what their friends are saying and going with things that are told to them is is not many people i feel like like the woman you just mentioned who's actively making the decision to go out and do something because she cares about the rainforest and so i feel like people's perception of like what is a normal thing to do which as of today is not to to get up off the couch or to come in from outside and go think about those things. It's just not what's done. But how do you feel like that type of environment is involving? Like, do you feel like people are becoming almost more quote unquote activists in the perception of how they want to allocate their wealth? Or do you feel like people are, like you said earlier, like kind of relying on their advisors more and saying, hey, like, just do some good for me with my money. Like, do you feel like there's because it seems like from someone who's a, an entrepreneur and like the startup kind of that side of the space, it definitely seems like more people are becoming aware of this whole sustainability movement and wanting to get involved and therefore actively doing things to get involved. But do you feel like it's the same way for wealth owners who are kind of maybe, maybe they are, maybe they aren't hearing about this, but do you think their perception of what's going on because of what other people are doing is kind of impacting their own desire and ability to take steps forward or feel like people are still kind of like, eh, not, not for me. Well, so I live in kind of um, a bubble or microcosm of, of people that are active and, hmm. and people that want to do it. So from my, from where I stand, it's growing and and I hope that that's the truth, but I think <laughs> there is a lot of momentum. I, I don't doubt that that's actually the truth because there is a lot of momentum in the field. I mm. mean, um, people are hearing a lot more about sustainable or sustainable finance and sustainable and impact investing products. Um, there is more pressure from the younger generation on the older generation to invest sustainably. Um, and 
and we work with I, I we work with people that are that want to be active um and so we do see that and we we train people so i mean i think training is very needed because the, the industry is very like convoluted um and is still in its infancy or maybe in its toddler stage or, um but you know it's still growing and it's definitely not solidified we don't have all of the data we we need to like make decisions and and that translates to like the client and consumer as well um so i think people are listening like the momentum in terms of like social norms like there is momentum growing it's seen as a positive thing people are wanting to get involved they don't know how to get involved there needs to be more transparency and agents like ability for agency for clients and consumers um so but i am sure there is still a subsection of people who are and we see it also in the older generation there are people who are like no i know that i know how investing works it's about these four criteria risk return time horizon liquidity and that's it um and i've been and which is fair because they've been doing it all their lives that way yeah. and so um yeah, I, I think there it's, but the, I think, I think the move, movement is growing. Yeah, me too, for sure. And one thing I was curious about, and I loved the, the vision that you guys have in the center's website, which is that the vision for the work that you're doing and kind of the overall financial market as a whole is for every the entire portfolio of every wealth owner to be fully advancing sustainable, sustainable development. And I think that is an honest and amazing vision. And I do think it's something that will, will be reality in at some point. I don't, don't know when, it could be 50, 150 years, whatever it is, but eventually like everything will become sustainable because it's just the better way. It's a more efficient way, it's less costs, et cetera. Um, what do you think is the, what is, what is the gap from, reality obviously i think a great example of that is the one you just mentioned which is people who like like i'm i'm gonna be the per the, the older people you just mentioned who have the mindset of like investing is four things risk reward time horizon and liquidity like they grew up as some young 20 somethings in school and that's their mindset and the same thing can be said for me today where my mindset is like hey i think about fill in the blanks or whatever it is, sustainability, whatever. And like someone, when I'm 70 in their 20, they're like, this, this old guy's thinking about sustainability. Like we're on to like fully regenerative thinking or whatever the term then is. But in terms of like the, so there's this gap today of like, maybe an example of the gap is that person who thinks about investing that way, there's definitely other examples of why the world today isn't fully sustainable, but from the work that you do and from your per perspective in terms of the financial part of it, what do you think is missing or needed in order to have every wealth owner's portfolio be fully advancing sustainable development? So I would say there are three things. So to start, we, we talked about education um, and um, there, we've seen that 60% of high net worth individuals are interested in sustainable finance. But of that 60%, 91% aren't invested. And there's, there's kind of, there's a big education piece around that, because it's like, how do you move that? I mean, we're not going to like, move the people who are um, not interested, that's not necessarily like our our goal, that's like a, a momentous task. Um, but we're focused on the people who are not invested, but are interested and want to be educated. So um, back to the sort of an education, there's a lot of misinformation and greenwashing and, um, and kind of sort of a lack of talent to support an industry to make this happen. And also like, um, we work with, as I said, a lot of inheritors, um, but a lot of, also a lot of self-made wealth holders that, um, that they'll go, 
so I'll use an example of um, that happens a lot there you have like a young a young woman and in a family um, who's used the same like um, usually white male um, wealth advisor for you know the last 30 years and they've had a great relationship with them with the family and she goes into an investor meeting and um and she's like and she, she asks them okay so what are we what what are we doing about sustainable investing and he'll come back and either say um oh yeah we're we're doing that here and you know she can't really um if she doesn't have the financial education um doesn't have the tools to like dig into that um and or he'll use a lot of language that is either dismissive um of you know like this young woman um or that is very complicated and complex and and about like how it doesn't make returns and whatnot and kind of like excludes this person from the conversation and i'm not saying this always has to be this specific gender um kind of an age situation but it often has mm. been um and so giving the people the tools to actually have this conversation um we think that empowering investors in this way um makes the difference so that's i mean it's a big gap um just the, the financial literacy um and also to be able to have the confidence to ask the right questions in these meetings um and on the other part piece of education is is the financial professionals um, most of them have been trained in a traditional investing environment um, with traditional education, um, and they don't necessarily have the insights or knowledge to um, to implement a sustainable investing approach or strategy with their client. Um, and I'm absolutely, you know, I used that example before about an, an advisor who uh, makes it difficult for his client, but I'm absolutely not saying that the advisors are all at fault you know they all work within a system with certain incentives that that um are aligned with their performance that uh, to make returns and and it's totally understandable um but what we're seeing is that a lot of the pieces in the bank and financial institutions are not aligned um with sustainability or sustainable development so you have the advisors but you also have like the people who are making the products like if the advisor can't get the right product um, off the bank's shelf, then um, that's also a challenge. And this goes all the way um, through the value chain of the financial institution. So we also think education in this realm is important. Could you explain that last piece in terms of, so I think there's like the term like an investment product is like, if, you, if I think of a product today, I might think of like that, the iWatch or something like the Apple Watch. Like, what is an investment product and how does that, I think that's a super key. And one other thing I just wanted to mention quickly is like those two examples you gave, like the one about the older advisor in a meeting with potentially anyone, but specifically like a younger woman or a younger lady and or a younger guy or whoever who doesn't know, have the financial knowledge to make the investment. It's like, that's wild, wildly interesting in something that like I personally never would think about that like that <laughs> the those dynamics are actually stopping sustainable investments from happening like it's like everything is there except for the fact that like there's just a little bit of ignorance there which is thank you for sharing that example it's super interesting um and then with this example of the the products like the investment products so what does that mean and you mentioned the idea of the supply chain too so maybe if you explain those dynamics mm -hmm. So uh, an investment product, it can, uh, let's take like a typical one. If we, if we think about a, a large financial institution, like pick one, um, they often will have in-house teams that will create um, an investment product. So often if that's like, for example, um, a, uh, a collection of, of stock, shares of stocks, um, and then in, in the public, yeah, so public market product. Um, and so, and they'll package that up and that will have certain dimensions of, of the, of like risk and return. Um, and it will have a certain theme and like, you know, this is our, um, our sustainable product. And, um, and that means it has 
different underlying assets in there, which are the different stocks that the holdings. Um, and then you as a as an investor can buy into that. So you go to your advisor and you say, I want assist, I want to invest sustainably. And they'll say, Great, we have this product, this investment product that we develop, we have in-house already ready for you. Um, and if you you can allocate X you know, amount of money um, and buy into this product. And then that means you are invested in the underlying, the, the sort, sort of portfolio of, of, of assets and different stocks. Gotcha. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. And then in terms of where is the, how does that, how does the investment product today being something that prevents the vision of the center, which is having every wealth owner be able to fully advance sustainable development with their investments. Like how does the structure of the investment product today prevent that? So this is where, um, depending on how the product is constructed, it is either more or less aligned with sustainable development. So depending on what then, you know, what the underlying holdings are, where the, the money is invested into, like what companies, um, this might or might not be sustainable by, by some standards or the bank might not even create this product. So as a client, so advisors are essentially incentivized to sell the products that the bank creates to their clients. Um, they can also get products from out of, out, out of house, but they're, they're basically, you know, they get, there's an incentive to sell what's in house. And there's usually a list that they'll get um, of like, this is what your priority is. And so these are the products that are being pushed to clients. And so if you as a client um, can't access the right investments through what the bank is offering, then you can't invest your money sustainably. Um, you know, there's kind of the sim a simplified version of it. Gotcha. Okay. And I was, as you're saying that, one a thought that came to mind was also that there's probably out of an investment product, if that investment product has 10 different stocks in it and, and three of them are sustainable, they're categorized as sustainable, it's probably another issue or something that is preventing every investment from being a sustainable investment is the fact that like the world is still transitioning to sustainability. So like not everything is even um, can be sustainable, just like a thing that's morphing and happening and evolving. Um, one, so a question I want to ask you is we've been discussing this space of sustainable investing and where the market is and how it's going and where it's been. But why, why do you feel like, so you're doing this today, we discuss where you came from and what you're interested in, but why do you feel like you matter? And why did you feel like you mattered to do this type of work and to like be the person to, to, to lead this charge and at a center that's doing some really meaningful things and now expanding to North America with your leadership. And so why did you feel like maybe earlier in your career or even today, like why did you feel like, like you mattered? I, I read that question before and I was like, oh, <laughs> this is such an existential question. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you had to really sit with it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, in terms of my work, I mean, personally, to back up why I matter, um, when my first reflection on this was that, like, I matter as much or as little as anyone else on this planet does. Um, and I believe that we should all matter and that should be reflected in, in regulatory frameworks and in our social systems um, mm. in a way that's not necessarily yet. So. I think I, I feel passionately about that. <laughs> My work, um, why I matter. Um, I think 
I mean, going through my, my whole story as we have, and then the work that I'm doing, I think I'm a very driven individual. I have a vision and a passion. And um, I think partially it's, it has to do with my, my drive um, and just kind of resilience um, and yeah, motivation to, to do good and, and to sort of do good in this world. But um, I've also been, been lucky to, to have been in the places that I am and that I have been, you know, I did grow up in a, like a more privileged household and I got to go to university, um, do two degrees. I got to live in a, in the very, very privileged societies like in the US, Australia, Switzerland. Um, and, and I also, like luckily my mix of skills and interests mm. um, and drive have led me to where I am. And, and luckily the environment is, is sort of conducive to, to enabling me to do the work that I do. But I, I could imagine myself doing similar work in a different context and still being in it maybe different time period but still still being happy and passionate and passionate so I think if that answers your question I'm not sure but <laughs> yeah I think it does I feel like it's, it's so subjective that it's the answer is whatever your answer is I think on in terms of the motivation part of it what what is that where does that come from for you? Or maybe maybe come from is part of it and the other part would be how you generate it because I think at the end of the day, like whether it's me, whether it's you, whether it's the person you work with, someone in the park that's doing some type of, or like whoever it is around the world, the motivation to do something comes in part from the things that come to you and then in part, I think, from the individual themselves and so how do you feel like especially in a world today and you mentioned at the very beginning like coming back to the U.S. after living outside the U.S. for 12 years and not just the U.S. and many 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 thousands of places around the world where it's a it's a choppy time it's a chop and I was talking to my parents recently like it's, it's always been a been a choppy times but I think right now there's just a lot of things going on um so how do you stay motivated in in today's context i a lot of i think especially in this sort of in this sort of work or this field like impact or mission driven or values aligned work um it's so easy to get burnt out and get overwhelmed um i do a lot of self care and personal work and for me that looks like connecting with the people I love and um building community and being in community um being outside and mm. running moving being with my cats <laughs> <laughs> love that reading and learning and um I think it's um I'm lucky that I, I get like, I have, uh, I get like innately motivated to do good. Um, so that's not really like, and that's kind of spontaneous um, yeah. uh, where the inspiration comes from. But I also feel a sense of agency. Um, and I think that's important to be able to look at what's going on around you and not just say, well, this is, messed up but like actually say like what's my part in this and like what 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 can I do here um and what, what's my place in it that that this is messed up and and how can I change it so um that's what, what keeps me motivated thank you for sharing that I love the cat the cat shout out <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately I'm allergic to pets like dogs and cats it's actually kind of sad but I, I had a cat when I was younger and I could feel the love from the cat. 
Um, and I think just little things like dad, pets, people that you love or not even good relationships that you have and being able to connect with them is so such a privileged thing to have and being outside, getting outside is awesome. One question that I ask every guest and that I'll wrap up with is why do you feel like your work matters? Well, I feel like my work matters because, I mean, if we can educate more wealth holders to move more private wealth into actually impacting um, sustainable development and the real economy, then we could close the SDG funding gap and we could actually achieve the SDGs. I mean, there's enough wealth there. Um, and there's a lot of other things that would have to happen in terms of regulation and um, and kind of structural changes. But, you know, our work, my work matters because we help this, uh, we help do this by training um, these wealth holders and financial institutions and, um, and actually create knowledge in the area that's currently missing. Well, that, that itself, I, I do feel like really matters. And I appreciate the conversation today and being able to learn more of those dynamics in the market today and the different ways you can invest in the market and how that's evolving and growing and changing. And I appreciate you coming on, taking the time and being able to learn from you in the early days to where you're at now and see how that journey has evolved and the mindsets you had to, to go through that journey. And beneficial for me to hear as someone in it right now in those younger days and also for people listening who are from any type of day, any type of age. Um, so thank you for coming on. It's a pleasure to have you and talk with you. Yeah, thanks for having me, Luke. It was a lot of fun. And that wraps up today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, follow us on LinkedIn at Why It Matters and on Instagram at Why underscore it underscore matters underscore. You will find our community of guests and listeners who are forming the next generation of changemakers. Come join the group of people leading humanity into the future. I'll see you all soon.